Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 105 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Be Happy, an interview with Joyce Braun. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, we named this Be Happy because we met this really happy Canadian gal who continued to be a very happy soul despite having all kinds of challenges on both her diagnostic and her treatment journeys. Joyce was misdiagnosed with multiple chemical sensitivities for a few years before properly being diagnosed with Lyme disease from a bioresonance test. Joyce was so hesitant to receive this diagnosis, she forced her doctor to run a very expensive hygienics test to confirm she had Lyme disease. Not only did she have the Canadian strain of Lyme disease, but she also had a German strain of Lyme disease as well, and she's never been in Germany in her entire life. But now Joyce has decided to move forward with bee venom therapy, and she's had some major success over the past year, and she's hoping to get into remission over the next year of bee venom therapy. So Matt, now we want to introduce Joyce Braun to the Tick Bootcamp community. Be happy. Hey, Joyce, and welcome to the program. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you. Uh, we always love to have Canadian guests on. And please, Joyce, share with us what part of Canada you're from. I'm from Ontario, a little town uh, called Brantford. And did you grow up in uh, Ontario? Yes, born and raised. And what was your childhood like? Um, it was pretty simple. Um, it was, uh, I have one brother and my mom, so it was the three of us. And basically grew up like most kids, uh, riding my bike, playing in the dirt, uh, hanging out in the forest, taking off on my parents. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was pretty simple, pretty happy. So let's talk about you uh, playing in the forest. Here, here on Long Island, we would say the woods. Um, what, um, what was your experience like in playing in the forest? I mean, what kinds of things did you do? And were you aware of ticks when you were playing out in the forest? Well, uh, I, I don't know if I even should call it a forest. We had uh, behind my house, uh, if we jumped the fence like, you know, little kids do, there was just woods everywhere um, because a lot of that area wasn't built up yet if you go back there now there's just houses beyond houses but there was big ditches and vines you could swing on and just all kinds of fun trouble that little kids can get into um, but no back then I had absolutely no awareness of ticks nothing <laughs> now when you say no awareness did you even know what a tick was when I was really young, no, we had no idea. I don't remember ever hearing about it, not until probably, gosh, in my 20s when you started hearing about it on the news. And, and even then, I, I only heard what you hear on the news, like, oh, you're going to get a rash, you're going to have a bug stuck to you, like that kind of stuff. So during the course of your childhood, either in the educational system or, you know, through education, through your family, you knew nothing about ticks and you knew nothing about Lyme disease, even though you lived close to a wooded area and you were often playing in the wooded area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no one ever talked about ticks. Not when I was really young. Um, as I got older, you know, the information started to come out, but um, no. <laughs> it might have helped back then, but we actually didn't a lot of ticks in our area then. Um, they're here now. Um, definitely Brantford's an endemic area now, but I think back then they were just starting to kind of get into this area. So let's, for context purposes, let's define when you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease. When was that and how old were you? Oh gosh, that would have been Finally, when it was on paper um, last year when I was 42. <laughs> so it took a very long time. And when do you believe that you first started to demonstrate the symptoms of a tick disease? I think it was 2015. I'm 99.9% .9 sure just because of the course of events. Um, I had gone camping in uh, Turkey Point Provincial Park um, and that's an interesting area because they say like that area is where the ticks kind of came up from the States. Um, and they first entered Ontario in Long Point and Turkey Point. So at that point, there was no signs, no nothing in the park. We just went camping. Um, and I was always the kind of person that would walk off the trail, never gave a second thought to brushing up against things or anything. I was always bushwhacking and that sort of thing so but immediately immediately after that camping trip um 
that's when some of the symptoms, acute symptoms anyways, started and, you know, wound me up in some trouble. So let's talk about what your life was like before that trip to Turkey Point Provincial Park. What, what were you doing professionally and personally at that stage in your life? Well, I was doing the same job that I have now. Um, I work in a group home with adults with developmental disabilities. Um, and personally, I was, again, I was still always outside <laughs> in the woods um, for fun. You know, I was taking courses to, um, to get certified as a, a backcountry guide, essentially, to take people like way, way up north, you know, like not car camping where you put your tent right next to your car, like some people do, but where you're actually paddling, you know, kilometers out there and, and getting to be to the point where like no one's around, just, you know, bears and loons and that sort of thing. Um, so I was doing a lot of hiking and paddling and getting certified and canoeing and kayaking and, and all that kind of thing. Um, just basically enjoying the outdoors. <laughs> now, Joyce, did any of the coursework that you were taking or the, any of the training that you were doing to become a certified backcountry guide include training about ticks and Lyme disease? Nothing, nothing at all. I think we touched on it like a little bit when I went for my wilderness first aid certification, but even then, you know, they, they don't do a lot with first aid. Um, as far as, you know, just treating what they would call a wound. Um, but the, the, nothing like what we know now is, uh, you know, what you would do if you were bitten by a tick. So now you, you said you believe that you came in contact with a tick that ultimately caused you to suffer the acute infection at Turkey Point Provincial Park. Um, why do you mm -hmm. believe that is the place that you, you suffered a tick bite? And why is that park important to the story of your Lyme disease journey and Lyme disease in Canada? Well, that park, not a lot of people know. Um, they do have signs up now, but um, during the course of figuring everything out, I had actually contacted one of the tick researchers in Ontario and all of Canada, and he did a lot of work in um, Turkey Point Provincial Park. And that area is now known as like endemic, like you know, there's ticks everywhere, but there's just a, a huge majority of the particular ticks in that park are carrying disease. So um, that's why they've put up all their signs. And I try to warn people against going there. And why do you believe that that's the park where, um, where ticks first made their way into Canada? Uh, you know, when you look at like the public health maps, um, that's kind of where that comes from. Um, they just, the area just started growing where people were, you know, coming up sick. Um, and every year, Public Health Ontario, they put out a map of Ontario showing the areas that are now shaded in where, um, where they're, they're finding like, you know, from the tick drags and whatnot that they do, that those areas are endemic. And, and that area is just right above, you know, New York, Watkins Glen, um, where it all came up from like Lyme, Connecticut. So quite close to that area. <laughs> do the officials in Canada believe that the tick challenges that you're facing are a consequence of the ticks moving north from the U.S.? I'm not sure. I've never heard anyone even mention anything about that. You would only really notice if you looked like historically at the maps, you know, that were from the years previous and, and how the, the shaded areas just kind of grow from that area. It's, it's quite fascinating, actually, but uh, I'm, I'm not really sure that Ontario is taking it seriously yet, even though there's a lot of people fighting for that change right now. So in and around 2015, you and some friends are enjoying your time in the Turkey Point Provincial Park, and you're not taking any steps to protect yourself from ticks, are you? Are you, are you using permethrin or DEET or any other combination of um, um, clothing and other types of shields to protect you from uh, ticks? No, not back then. I mean, we might have had a little bit of bug spray for the mosquitoes, but nothing. It wasn't even a thought 
in anyone's mind that we had to worry about ticks. So talk to us now about how your symptoms began to develop after your trip to Turkey Point Provincial Park and uh, how it began to impact your life. It was almost immediate. I want to say like even days after that camping trip. I, was, I kind of thought, you know, okay, well, I just went camping. You know, you're sleeping on the ground. My neck started to get really, really stiff. And I've had minor neck stiffness in the past. So I didn't really think too much about it. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, I had also just at that moment transferred from one group home to another. And I just thought, okay, maybe the chemicals here are different because I had already had a minor sensitivity to chemicals, but suddenly it just got so much worse. I got to the point, you know, where I had to wear a mask and I couldn't breathe as well. So um, anyway, brand new location. I was working with a brand new team and I was suddenly off. I, I just, I couldn't get out of bed because my neck stiffened up so much that it wound up pinching a nerve and the whole, um, my left arm, I thought it was having a heart attack. Actually, <laughs> I, I wound up in the ER because my left arm was just on fire. I had ice packs and I I couldn't even, like, I walked, you should have seen me walking into the ER. I looked ridiculous because my neck was hunched over and my arm was twisted around my back. It was literally the only way that I could be comfortable. And, you know, the guy at the ER, he just was like, yeah, well, you, got, you, you might you have a tiny little pinched nerve. Maybe go see a chiropractor, you know. I'm, I'm, I'll give you some, what was it? I think it was, like, some strong Advil. He's like, and this is completely non-addictive you know he, was, he kept saying that as if I was in there you know I felt like he thought that I was faking it to get drugs like I was drug seeking which is just makes me so angry looking back because all he could have said was hey have you been camping lately <laughs> and and the whole course of events would have been completely different so Not just I wound up I'm sorry. Did you have any other symptoms? Let's talk about the, I want to say focus on the, on the trip to the park and then we'll talk about the developing symptoms. Um, did you, um, did you have any other traditional uh, symptomology of a, of a tick bite? For example, um, did you have a rash? I had a rash, but actually that's interesting too, because the rash didn't show up until about a year later. Um, which I found out sometimes can also rarely happen. Um, the Lyme doctor that I have now has said that, yeah, sometimes that happens once it's completely disseminated. Um, you can get a rash. And, and that was even brushed off because years later I went to um, a rheumatologist because over the course of events, you know, my regular doctor and I were working at this, trying to figure out what the heck was going on with all these crazy symptoms I had. So we were thinking about lupus, and it turned out not to be the case. But um, so I went to see this rheumatologist, and he's like, no, no, everything you've got, it, it's multiple chemical sensitivity. That's it. Chemicals are just that's all your problem. You know, he looked at the rash that I had. It was on my neck, and he's like, yeah, that's just chemical reaction. And he just completely brushed it right off. Um, and when I talked about it later on with a Lyme doctor, he's like, oh, yeah, I've got that rash is very, very indicative of Lyme because it, it wasn't a bullseye. It was just an oval, red, pinkish rash. Um, so it's funny looking back. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so so at, the time, at the time that you first started to present your symptoms after your trip to the park in 2015, you didn't have a mm -hmm. rash and you didn't discover no. a tick. You just had these developing symptoms. Yeah, exactly. It was okay. pretty much just my neck. So but let's talk about your, your chemical sensitivity. You said that you had moved from one group home to another group home. And when you moved to the next group home, you started to have severe reactions to various chemicals. Can you give us more detail about what that was like and how that impacted you? Um, well, it's basically like fragrance chemicals, um, cleaning chemicals. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, basically, there's a loophole. Um, in products that if the word fragrance is listed on anything, uh, companies are allowed to hide thousands of toxic chemicals. And it, it just happened at that point in my life. Um, 
I thought it was because of maybe the switch in locations, like maybe they were using more chemicals, but they weren't. Like it was the same as any other place that I had worked at. I was just, um, my immune system obviously at that point took a hit and uh, I just couldn't tolerate breathing around people anymore. Um, And there's a lot of different symptoms with chemical sensitivity as well. You get an immediate reaction. I, I kind of explain it like you, you feel like you've just run a half marathon with the flu and you burst through the ribbon and, and somebody punches you in the gut and knocks the wind out of your lungs kind of thing. And then you go on to, you know, eventually get lots of body aches and pains, which looking back now is probably just the, the Lyme disease bacteria disseminating through your body. But um, at that point, everything was just, it was blamed on chemicals, chemicals, chemicals. Um, But looking back now, I know that that was just a symptom. It's not so much a disease as it is a symptom. So Joyce, here in in the States, it, it doesn't seem like it's much different than it is in Canada as far as awareness. But for those that are in the know about Lyme, Multiple chemical sensitivities, chronic neck pain, and even an autoimmune misdiagnosis like lupus are all signs of a tick-borne disease like Lyme disease. So did any doctor Mm -hmm. at this time in 2015 or up until your eventual diagnosis ever suggest a tick-borne illness? No, never. Um, I was tested for everything. Um, As you know, like the public health tests are very bad. (laughs) So um, it was just, yeah, it was negative. So we never went and, and searched any farther with that kind of a diagnosis. Uh, it was just sort of forgotten about. Um, and it wasn't until probably 2018, 2019, when someone actually looked into it. And that was a, a doctor that I specifically saw for chemical sensitivities, which was interesting. So the, the public health care system in Canada, is it part of the routine of tests that they that they that issued to people that they test for Lyme disease and they did for you but it just came back negative no it wasn't a routine test at all um i'm actually still sadly on the waiting list for um a chemical sensitivity doctor like an official one we have um, an environmental health clinic here in ontario and you get put on this waiting list and it's supposed to take about a year um i've been waiting almost four years, I think, for that one. Um, And that was even when I was healthier, like even before all of this happened, I got put on that waiting list. And they just had a suggestion, like, yeah, they they gave my doctor like a list of things that she could test me for in the meantime. And that just happened to be one of them. But literally everything comes back negative, (laughs) everything. But it wouldn't be like a routine test for somebody with, um, you know, neck pain or stiffness or anything like that. I only had the test because I had shown up with uh, multiple chemical sensitivity. So a lot of people don't understand what it's like to live with multiple chemical sensitivity. So can you give us an example of a scenario in your life where you've had a reaction to a chemical and what it was like for you, you know, and the symptoms you developed as a result of exposure to that chemical? Well, it's... It's almost, well, it was kind of humiliating before this whole pandemic thing started because, you know, now you go out and you see everyone in masks, but before it was just me. I was the only one in the community who ever had to wear a mask. And when it got really, really, really severe, I even wore like a gas mask. (laughs) Not a gas mask, but, you know, those respirator type masks that you see for people who are like painting, um, that kind of thing. Uh, so it it looks a little bit ridiculous, but if I weren't, if I couldn't wear that mask for some reason, like before I discovered that that was what I could do to protect myself, I wouldn't even be able to walk down, like say the laundry aisle in the grocery store. I would constantly feel like I was going to get sick. Um, I would immediately get a migraine. It was horrible. Like I, it, you feel like you're trapped in your home because you can't leave your front door. If I even go outside my front door, you know, what if the, what if the neighbor's doing laundry? What if they have some kind of a a scented product coming out of their, you know, the dryer chute or whatever they're called. 
um, that would immediately make me feel like I had the flu, like one of the worst flus of my life. And, you know, you're walking around 24-7 basically feeling like that. It's, it's really awful. It's very isolating, incredibly isolating. Joyce, for this about six-year window up until last year when you finally got your Lyme diagnosis, did you and your family actually believe that the root cause of all of your symptoms was multiple chemical sensitivities? Or were you always hesitant and you thought there may be an, uh, something else going on that's causing this, this problem with your body? No, I really believed it for a while. Um, that's actually why I started the uh, My Chem Free Life Instagram page, because um, you know, I joined all the multiple chemical sensitivity groups and I, I tried to get more information, but a lot of the groups and the doctors and the books that I've read out there, they basically say, you know, oh, you're, you're permanently damaged by chemicals. You know, this is your life now. You need to hide yourself away and, and make sure that, you know, your, your house is a safe place and you're going to be on disability for the rest of your life. And then to have all of these different doctors that I saw say, yep, yep, it's just chemical sensitivity. You just need to protect yourself. Basically, live in a bubble. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I believed it. I, I thought that this was my life. This was the way that things were going to be. And eventually it would even get even worse because they say that there's stages. And it, it definitely, I definitely had stages of, you know, it getting worse for me. Talk to us about these stages that you're, you're referencing. So how did your chemical sensitivities worsen over time? Well, I think like that actually started long before I ever had the tick bite, um, which is interesting because MCS, it has a lot of different causes. You know, you can be damaged by chemicals. You can, I've had different levels of mold exposure um, throughout the course of my life as well. So when it first started, I literally just thought it was because of something I was cleaning with and, and that was that, but it was just, I just noticed, you know, I couldn't really stand to be around people if they sprayed on too much perfume, you know, when somebody walks by you and you get like a cloud of cologne and they've like bathed in something and you're just, there's those people that are like, oh gosh, this just gives me such a headache, but it wasn't the end of the world kind of thing like when it first started I was like oh that person was, oh could they put any more on you know I, I was they just stunk but that was it um so as the years went by it it was more like oh I have to get away from this person right now or I'm, I feel like I'm gonna throw up or something like that and then eventually at the very end of things I thought that was why I couldn't get out of bed when I finally crashed. I just thought, okay, I have to get all these chemicals out of my life because, you know, they've put me into such like the, the final stage. I thought that was it. And, and that was eventually how I found out that that actually wasn't it because I sought out a doctor to help me with MCS. That's what I was looking for help with. <laughs> Talk to us more about this, this perfect storm that happened in your life where you had this crash that you just referred to. There was a lot of physical and emotional events that occurred as well in parallel to your health declining. So can you walk us through what was going on in your life at this time? Sure. Um, at that time, I was like, I thought that I was getting into the final stages of MCS. So I had to constantly protect myself. I was getting very sensitive. And then all of a sudden I had an accident that caused like a, a double concussion um really brutal and so from that I was still trying to get out and work and do everything and I was just randomly throwing up out of nowhere <laughs> it was the most bizarre thing but you know again you would expect that with a concussion so I just I thought nothing of it I wound up losing about 45 almost 50 pounds in the span of a month and then I wound up, unfortunately, getting food poisoning. The whole family did. You know, um, everybody else was fine within a day or so. My dog got the food poisoning as well, and uh, he wound up passing away. So there was that on top of all of it. And then I just, I got so weak 
that I just collapsed. I couldn't even get out of bed. You know, I, I remember that final day calling into work because I, I was trying so hard to just maintain this life thinking, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just, I had a concussion. This is all normal. It's fine. I got up, I had a shower, got ready for work. And I, I just landed on the floor and I was like, I can't get up. I, I just couldn't move anymore. It just, everything just collapsed around me. It was like getting the rug pulled out from under your feet in a sense. But this was really a blessing in disguise because it forced you to follow up with another doctor, which ultimately led you to your Lyme diagnosis, correct? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, because I, I was like, well, I, I can't sit on this wait list anymore. You know, I was, I was calling this environmental health clinic from my bed going, okay, when are you going to see me? And having, no, no, another year, another year. They're so backed up. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I wound up on actually an American website, the um, Academy of Environmental Medicine or something like that. And I was looking through because they had doctor listings of who was, you know, who specialized with chemical sensitivities because still at this point, I, I just thought it was all chemicals. And so I found this doctor, um, he wasn't an MD anymore, but he was literally the only one around here with any experience with MCS. And, and I crawled into his office <laughs> pretty much with a gas mask on and everything. And he's like, wow, you know, you're the, the worst case of chemical sensitivity I've seen in a long time. And, and this is coming from a guy who had basically spent like his entire life dealing with people with chemical sensitivities. And, you know, his, um, his nurse ran some bioresonance testing and he was just like, oh yeah, you got Lyme. And it's like, no, I don't. Don't be ridiculous. I have chemical sensitivities. You fix me, do something about this. And he's like, oh, well, okay, but, but you have Lyme. <laughs> well, well, Joyce, I'm going to interrupt you there real quick, Joyce, because you, you mentioned that this doctor actually did bioresonance testing to identify mm -hmm. that you had Lyme disease, which is something we don't hear about that often. So can you, for our listeners, can you walk us through what that testing is like? Right. Uh, I thought that it was ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I've, I've always had like a bit of a natural background when it comes to, you know, healthcare and doctors and whatnot, but I had never heard of this going in there. And I thought, you know, okay, this guy's a doctor. He's going to do like a blood test or, you know, some kind of chemical or heavy metal testing, but they, um, they sat me down and I held on to this metal rod and they probed my toe with another rod and they, they were putting vials into this machine. It was almost like muscle testing, what you would expect with that. And which I, I already had in my head that I thought muscle testing was just a sham. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. I was very disappointed actually when I had my first initial visit there because I was like, oh, I thought I finally found an expert who was going to help me. And they're just doing all this crazy stuff. But, you know, looking back, because eventually I went on to, you know, and my regular doctor, she must have thought that I was nuts because I, I came back to her and I said, you know, this guy, he's, he's telling me I have Lyme disease. But he probed my toe. <laughs> but all of the stuff that came back, you know, she referred me. I, I eventually found a Lyme literate doctor. And she referred me to him. And we ran all kinds of regular tests. And literally everything that the first guy tested with the bioresonance test, he was right. You know, and, and I, it, it blew my mind because I was like, you can't put something on my toe and, and tell me what's wrong with me and like things just don't work that way <laughs> well joyce but, just just, uh, just to give you an example though when we first heard about bioresonance testing it did sound so out there but we've come to learn from over 120 podcast guests that actually this testing seems to be very accurate for most of the guests that we have on our podcast and our first guest mm -hmm. kelly 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 bibza that had it had great success with bioresonance testing and treatment so for those that are listening, it may sound a little nutty, but you know, it's something to look at. It's definitely something to consider, um, especially considering it worked for you as well. Yeah, and considering too that, you know, the, the, the lab tests that you get for Lyme disease are so expensive and bioresonance testing doesn't even compare when it comes to that. Like I could have saved myself thousands and thousands of dollars if I had just 
gone along with this, but it just seemed so crazy at the time that I was like, no, no, he can't be right. This isn't right. <laughs> I just kept thinking, no, it's, it's chemicals. It's chemicals. Everything in my life had to do with MCS. So I had to prove him wrong. I set out to prove this guy wrong. I was, I, I had to go and, and get all these, and that was a whole other ordeal, just trying to get the, um, the proper Lyme testing, you know, with Igenics and Armin Labs, because that's another interesting point, because um, I was so sick that I wasn't producing antibodies. So my first Igenics test, um, that came back inconclusive. Like I had a little tiny bit show up on the Lyme specific bands, which looking back now, another, that should have been another red flag. Some people are like, well, you know, a good Lyme doctor would take that as a positive, but my doctor just saw it and she's like, no, it says negative. So it's negative. And then, um, and then I wound up going to this, um, this expert in the field of Lyme literate doctor. He put me through some Armin testing from Germany and that all came back massively negative. So we were, they were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You just, you have mold poisoning and, and that's it. But I was like, wait a minute. The first doctor told me I have Lyme. I have inconclusive tests for Lyme. Um, I have, I had a rash. I got sick right after a camping trip. Like I, at that point, I needed something like, I needed to know black and white, yes or no, is it Lyme or is it not? And the doctor said to me, he's like, well, we can do this, you know, like 80% or sorry, um, 20% of his patients. He's like the sickest people that I've ever seen will never test positive for a Lyme test, especially if it's an antibody test, because you just don't produce any of it. And he's, and I, I can't remember what kind of a test he ran, but he's like, there's one more test we can try if you really, if you must know, like, it's just like, if you really got to know, and I'm like, yeah, it's like that saying, you know, like, you don't come this far to only come this far, and at that point, I had been through so much and so many tests that I was like, no, I need to know 100% yes or no is this Lyme, so he ran a test, another test for my genics that was just thousands of dollars, it was horrible, but um, brutally positive, that it just came back with, like, like lit up Christmas lights positive and he's like oh well what do you know you have Lyme and I'm like yes I've been trying to tell you this all along like I I need to know for sure and I I finally got that test that finally came back and and it's interesting because that's the test that actually popped up with the different strains you know that was when I found out that I not only have the um, the American one but the one from Europe so Joyce, let's talk about that for a second. So you, have you ever been to, I think this was the Germany strain of Lyme, is that correct? Yeah, and it, it's not even the, you know, when some people say, oh yeah, I've got the European strain, I forget the name of the one, but mine was even the one that was even less common. Like it was in just tiny little parts of Europe, like South, South Germany, I believe, and Hungary, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but very, very rare to, to find a Canadian with that particular strain. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's like Borrelia um, spielmanni or spielmanni. I, I don't even know how to say it. It's that rare. So the interesting part about this is your father grew up in parts of Europe where that strain is found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that was shocking. <laughs> so for me, that indicates that you could have potentially been born with that strain of Lyme from your father and then been reinfected mm-hmm. with an American strain, which caused you to get sick. Is that something you've ever considered? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, like I said, after that camping trip, I got sick. But before that, you know, I was relatively healthy and you know, I had the odd thing. You know, I, I thought that I was intolerant to wheat and that sort of stuff, you know, gluten intolerant. But um, I, I was a pretty healthy person up until that point. But, you know... I think like most people with Lyme know, like you can keep your condition kind of dormant. It can just lay there and wait for the perfect storm. So I think that being bit by an American strain tick was probably just what threw me over the edge or like the straw that broke the camel's back in a sense. And that's what started 
everything to explode. You know, you're, you're not the only one who's had a similar story like this. We had a, a past guest who was from Ireland and had the American strain of, of Lyme disease from the West Coast. And her father oh, yeah. actually spent a significant amount of time on the West Coast of the state. So you're the second guest who's actually had a strain of Lyme that is from an area they've never been to before, but their father has lived in for a significant period of their life. So I think there's something oh, to be wow. said there about, about the ability to pass Lyme from father to child. So that's just mm -hmm. an interesting side note from, from your story here. Now, did you ever discuss this with your doctor to see what his thoughts were on the possibility of, of transmitting Lyme from your father to you? My doctor's very, uh, you know, he doesn't want to say things 100%. So, um, you know, like even before I got the Lyme test, he's like, well, you know, maybe we'll, we'll, I can treat you for this clinically, but, you know, he wouldn't, unless he had something, you know, on paper saying that he didn't want to commit to saying anything like that. So I thought that that's what it was. I brought it up and he's like, yeah. Yeah, maybe that could have possibly happened, but I don't think, like, he's very, very new to, uh, to Lyme, um, so I, I think he just probably doesn't want to commit to the science yet, um, but yeah, it's, you know, he didn't disagree with it by any means, so it's very once you finally proved that you had Lyme, without a doubt, you know, from all of these expensive tests that you had run, what was your treatment plan with your doctor moving forward to finally heal from the Lyme? <laughs> that was actually kind of funny because I was kind of thinking, well, why am I even here with the doctor? Because, uh, you know, I had gone through all these tests, but I was so sick with, um, you know, digestive issues and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, you know, I really don't think you're a candidate for antibiotics. So I was like, okay, you know, that's fine. I was kind of terrified of doing that anyways because I didn't want to get sicker because everyone that I've talked to who's, who's gone the antibiotic route, you know, you, you tend to get sicker before you get better. Um, but then he also suggested, he's like, well, there's a new thing coming out where a lot of folks are trying that, uh, what's it called, antabuse, I think it's called. Um, so he had said that he had some success with some of his other patients with that. So he said, you know, once we, um, he wanted to treat the, the mold poisoning or the mold toxicity first. And he said, once we're done with that, if you're still, you know, not well, we can try antabuse. But in the meantime, um, excuse me, he had put me on um, what was supposed to be this miraculous drug for people with Lyme and multiple chemical sensitivity is uh, low-dose naltrexone. And I had a horrific reaction to that. So that kind of took me out of the running for antibiotics. He was like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I don't think so. At that point, he was like, oh, have you ever considered herbs? And it just, it brought me right back to the beginning where I, you know, I'd already tried herbs. It's <laughs> like, well, this is ridiculous. <laughs> There's nothing you can do but, but laugh at that point because literally he couldn't offer me anything. So he's kind of sticking to treating the, the mold exposure and the mold toxicity because of I just basically had a bad reaction to everything he's like well you're just you're not a candidate for anything so keep doing what you're doing in a sense <laughs> so, but, so Joyce as a as a tale for our, our listeners for those that are listening and are wondering what kind of reaction you had to low-dose naltrexone many people considered <laughs> trying that to help with some of their chemical sensitivities and even even just lessen their Lyme disease symptoms like chronic pain what specifically did you feel as a reaction to it so they know what to look out for if they try low-dose naltrexone <laughs> well and I have to say that I think that this is rare because I've heard that you know a lot of people have really good reactions to I don't want to scare anybody but I was homicidal I was like I wanted to find the nearest person and just destroy them like and this is pretty strange because I'm a pretty relaxed laid-back chilled out person it, it takes a lot to kind of ruffle my feathers or whatever the expression is but if I had an ice pick, I would have poked the nearest person's eyeballs out. Like I was just, and, but I knew I was like, okay, this is a, a drug reaction. It has to be, this is not normal. <laughs> I literally, I locked myself up 
by myself and I avoided every human being possible until I could get it out of my system. It, it was just unbelievable. Like I've never had a drug <laughs> give me that kind of a reaction before, like where it could change your mood so drastically. It was, it was awful. Like it, it made me think of those, you know, people you hear about in the news that just they go postal for lack of a better word. Like I can, fully understand how that happens now because that's just it was completely a 180 not like me at all you know I, I wouldn't but I, I I'd release spiders out the front door. <laughs> like, it's just a crazy crazy feeling to have had that kind of reaction but I won't how long did it take drug. how long did it take Joyce for you to get that symptom was it a, the same day was it a couple of weeks was it a couple of days how, how long did it take you to get those side effects from the low-dose naltrexone oh it was within a day it was almost immediate and you know I had even discussed it in some support groups and, and there was other people on this drug and they're like yeah you know it, it can give you a bit of anxiety I'm like no no this is not anxiety like I want to kill somebody <laughs> and I laugh about it now because I know I would never do such a thing but um, I'm like this is not it but people are like well, okay we'll try taking even a lower dose like there's some people that go ultra 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 low dose naltrexone you know um, so I, I took apart the pills I split it and I took like just a minute amount of you know the actual dose and I was still like no this is wrong I can't I can't I just couldn't do it. I just said, forget it. This is not for me. I don't, even if, you know, this is just a, a symptom that would only last a couple of weeks. I knew, I just, I knew right off the bat that I wouldn't be able to, to hang on that long with that. I, I, I didn't even care if it was a miracle drug at that point. I said, I can't, I can't take it. I can't have it in my system. So I just, I stopped immediately right away. So although you were sensitive to a lot of medications like low-dose naltrexone, what were you able to take to help your recovery? Well, um, as far as what I went through with the doctor, um, we found nothing. My options were absolutely nothing. So we focused on, you know, like I said, the mold treatment. And um, before I had even gotten the positive, I or the positive test results, I, I kind of knew that my options were very limited because, um, number one, uh, if a doctor treats you for Lyme disease in Ontario, or I think most of Canada, they're still at risk here for losing their license. So I kind of knew that I had to do some searching. I had tried herbs. They didn't really do a lot for me. And then I stumbled on um, bee venom therapy. And I thought, well, that's pretty crazy. But everything up until that point <laughs> has been crazy anyways. So, um, so I just said, Oh, to heck with it. I, I found somebody to help me with, um, you know, to test and see if I was going to have an anaphylactic reaction. And I, I didn't. So I was like, okay, this is, this is it. This is all I've got. This is my only option. I, I read some studies. I, I found out that, you know, there's a lot of people online that have said that they've had, pretty good success with that so I just kind of dove in head first with that and now I'm about a year into that treatment so that's pretty much my only option <laughs> but I'm hoping I'm really hoping I'm hopeful from a lot of the, the stories the anecdotal evidence and the studies that I've read I'm really crossing my fingers that that one that's going to work for me because that's kind of my last <laughs> ditch effort at this point well, Joyce, we can tell you that we had a guest, Laura McLeod, on uh, probably about six to eight months ago now, and she was mm -hmm. using bee venom therapy and was having great success with it, among many others in the community that we've seen out there on social media. So there is a lot of mm -hmm. hope for bee venom therapy, but talk to us about what that's like, because for me, it just sounds so scary to, to get live bees <laughs> and sting yourself on a daily basis. So talk to, walk us through a typical day of, of stinging yourself to help treat Lyme disease. Oh, yeah, it, it does sound crazy, doesn't it? I I thought it was nuts at first, but, um, you know, I, I actually did my count, and I've now been stung by 1,727 bees, so <laughs> it's nuts. But, but a typical day is 10 stings. Um, that's one treatment for one day, and you um, 
you sting basically at various different spots on your spine and that's to make sure that um, it goes kind of like systemically through your entire body um, as you get more into your treatment like now that I'm a year in I'm doing stings higher up on my neck and that's supposed to get to kind of like the the neurological symptoms um, they've found that the two um, substances that are in the bee venom or the the sac on honeybee they can cross the um, the blood-brain barrier so they can really help with neurological symptoms so you know again I'm crossing my fingers that 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 works because it, it does sound crazy you know I, I literally just sit with a mirror and a pair of tweezers and I'm I'm stinging myself with bees. <laughs> it sounds nuts. I think there's something to be said about the, the bee venom itself. And from, from what little we have learned about it, not only do does the bee venom actually help kill off the bacteria, the Lyme bacteria and others from other co-infections, but it also has mm -hmm. immune boosting properties as well. Is that, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, I think so. Um, and it, it seemed to ring true for me because, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of different sick people, you know, day to day with my, my job and coworkers and whatnot. So um, I don't tend to, to pick up what everybody else has going on around me, which knock on wood is so far, it, it seems to be working, which is really good. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think that it does tend to help and you know I'm doing everything I can right now to, to boost my immune system so uh, if the bees can help with that that's wonderful. Now now what is the recommended treatment course for bee venom therapy is this something that's going to be a, a couple of months a couple of years what is what's out there in the in the Lyme world that's recommended for you to to get better from Lyme disease by stinging yourself? I've read that um, the average is about two years so that's two years of stinging three times a week, um, 10 stings each session. Um, I've heard of some people having to go on three years. Uh, very rarely I've heard four years, but I think, you know, the max is about um, three years. So it's a very, very, very long treatment. And um, the thing with it, too, is that um, something in the bee venom, it causes you know, your chronic infection to kind of go acute. So it's, it's pulling out a lot of the, the early symptoms. And I've found that to be very true. Like I, I seem to be a textbook case because now that I'm a year in, my neck is stiff again. You know, all of those initial symptoms, like from way back when 2015, they're all coming back. Not quite nearly as strong to the point where I would go to the ER again, but um, just, bothersome very bothersome I mean, there's a lot of pain in my spine and I was talking to the guy that um, the apotherapist that I get the bees from and you know he was asking how I'm doing and I'm like you know it's <laughs> not so great and he's like well you're about a year in and he's like honestly that's when most people quit because it's just the symptoms get to be too much but um, he's like it's just stick through it because it's textbook, you know, that's when it's, it's pulling everything out. And I think that's why people say, you know, you can't, nobody can say, oh, I have the cure for Lyme. But a lot of people in the, the bee venom circles, they say, well, I haven't had Lyme for years. And, and they say that that's why. That's because it's, it's pulling all of the bacteria and the infection out so that the next step is it's going to kill it. And, and that's what I'm hoping for. Like, I, I really hope that this textbook case of mine turns out to, to be a good story. But I still have another year or so to find out. But I'm really hopeful because, you know, just knowing that what I have going on right now is what everybody else went through, I think is very hopeful. Well, that's a very interesting part about bee venom therapy that we didn't know about that it's almost like hitting your rewind button on your Lyme disease where it pulls it back out. You go back to your acute symptoms, but then once it pulls it out of, of these deep places in your body, the bee venom helps your body actually kill the bacteria to bring you back to your pre-disease state. So, so 
Now, if people want to learn more about bee venom therapy, who are you working with and what, under what guidance are you doing this under? You mentioned that you speak to the person who you buy the bees from. Where can our listeners go to learn more about bee venom therapy if they want to look at this as an option for themselves? It's actually that's a good question. It's pretty neat that you asked because uh, the place where I pick up the bees, it's actually a beekeeper. And um, I don't know his full story, but they found out that you know, the bee venom was helping people and they realized a long time ago that, um, that that's just what they needed to do. But if you go there, it just looks like you're going to a regular beekeeper. You know, there's lots of beekeeping supplies and honey and that kind of stuff. Um, it's Bee Wise Honey in um, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario. And they've gotten to be so into the, the health aspect and the therapy aspect that they've now just opened Ontario's first apitherapy center. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Apitherapy? <laughs> I hope so. But um, they're very close actually to opening up a place where, because they have people with Lyme disease coming from all over just to pick up bees. They're treating people, you know, with um, arthritis, multiple sclerosis, and those kinds of illnesses that also can possibly be tick-borne. But um so they're opening up an entire center that is separate from their beekeeping place where people can come for the health needs that they have. Is, is BeeWise Honey currently transporting or shipping bees? I'm not even sure if that's possible, but for those that aren't in Canada but want to learn more and speak, speak with BeeWise Honey, is there any way they can get bees delivered to them if they don't live close to Canada? I don't think that they deliver yet. I'm not sure that that's something that they do. Um, I would have to ask them. I know that it's possible though, because I actually started with a different place. Um, it was just a woman who had bees in her backyard and she's the one who did um, my test thing, but she would ship these like, um, you know, whatever you would need for about a week or so. And <laughs> you would get a little box in the mail with holes in it and it would say live bees. I can't even imagine what the the postal worker thought, but <laughs> but you can. But the problem with that is is that um, in Canada they won't ship these after a certain date. I think it's around October. They won't do it over the the winter months, so you're kind of stuck, um, and that will completely mess up someone's treatment. And that's why I wound up going to um, I switched to Be Wise Honey because. Um, they're, they're huge beekeepers, like uh, they're the experts in the field. So, and because he knew that people really needed this for treatment, he has hives that he would have indoors because that's the problem too with the hives. People don't want to open their hives in the wintertime because if you expose bees outdoors to the Canadian cold winters, you're going to kill the entire hive. So nobody wants to do that. So he has one in a, like a, temperature regulated room or whatever where he'll open it up in the winter time and he'll supply people with bees the problem there lies is that you can't ship them through canada post in the winter time so people are kind of stuck if they're not close to this place i mean i drive every month or so it takes me just over an hour to get there but there's people coming from really far away to come and get bees from this guy so Joyce, give us an idea of where your health is at today. Although it's only been a year and you have another year to go before you think you're going to see real results from bee venom therapy, you've made other improvements with your health. So can you, can you walk us through where you were years ago and the progress you've made leading up until the present date? Yeah, that's really interesting to see. Like, I've had to have friends point that out to me because you know when you're in the thick of it and every day you just don't really notice anything. You're like, oh, I'm still so sick. But you know, I've had people point it out to me, like, I couldn't get out of bed. I spent, gosh, like, eight months just flat on my back in bed. You know, my mother was popping in, you know, making sure that I was eating because I was losing so much weight. I was so weak, you know, and it's very humbling. You know, I'm supposed to be the one looking after my mom at this age, but, you know, she was popping in, <laughs> making sure that I was still alive and breathing in here so quite a drastic change from that um so I'm obviously I'm out of bed now um I'm back to work I was 
terrified at the time going through this that I would never get back to work and I would just be, you know, on disability for the rest of my life. And, and even before all of this, you know, MCS and Lyme, like you just, you don't get disability for that where I'm from. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to have nothing. But um, I got out of bed and I'm I'm back to work full time. Um, and I'm actually doing pretty good. I'm just taking a lot of steps to protect myself. You know, I'm making sure that I'm not exposed to any more mold and I'm, I'm carrying on with the bees and really boosting my immune system with, you know, vitamins and stuff like that. But uh, quite a drastic change. I thought that I wouldn't even be not so much walking. Like I, I could walk, I could get up, but I was bed bound completely like, you know, sitting up to eat a meal and stuff like that. But other than that, I was just, I, I thought I was dying. And to be able to get back up and work now, that's quite a blessing. Um, I think probably I would be doing a lot more too if we weren't stuck in the midst of the pandemic right now. Um, but everything's obviously closed and whatnot. I'm I'm not to the point where I was before. Like before all of this happened, I was out, you know, in the backcountry. I was soloing in the backcountry. I would just pick up my dog and um, the two of us would wander and we'd paddle out in my kayak and take off and not be around anybody and just camp under the stars. So I'm not there yet because I still have that little inkling of, Oh, what if, what if I go out there by myself and I get sick? You know, what if something happens and I, I can't paddle back, you know, because I still have bad days. You know, they're and they're unpredictable. Uh, there's times when I'm just, you know, my body tells me like, "You're done. You need to rest. You you need to stay in bed." And at that point, it's not the same as somebody else who just might need to take a nap. It's like, no, no, you're you're finished. Go to bed. <laughs> so um, I I'm not quite to that point yet. I I've I had a couple of trips to the backcountry but only with people that absolutely 100% know completely what I'm going through, the possibilities of what could happen, and only folks that I would trust that, you know, God forbid, if I got super sick out there, that they would be able to manage to get all of us back home. Um, So that kind of stuff doesn't happen very often, unfortunately. I really do miss that, but I fully believe that, you know, I'm on the way back to – to getting there. I think I'll be back out in the back country by myself someday. That's a goal of mine, I think, is to just take another solo trip out there and just be amongst the trees with no sound. Like that's a really amazing feeling just on its own. It's it's great. But I think that's how I'm going to know that I'm, I've made it. (laughs) I've kicked it. I'm going to go and have a nice solo trip or climb one of the peaks out there just like I used to, to be like, hey, I'm done, or anything, you know, I want to say anything you can do, I can do with Lyme disease, so that's, that's going to be how I know, and it's coming, it'll and be we, soon. We know it is coming, Joyce, and, and while you've been on this journey, and you've made this physical transformation, you've also gone through um, a spiritual transformation, where you've begun to now help other people who are in the throes of their challenges with Lyme disease. So can you talk to us about how you were transformed from the person you were to the person you are now and uh, what inspired you to start your Instagram and help out other folks who are going through these uh, challenges? Yeah, and it's funny that you asked that too because before I started the one for chronic illness, I had um, a blog, uh, Go Outside. I had a different Instagram, Twitter, and it was all based on the backcountry, basically. And um, I realized after going through all of this, like I started the My Chem Free Life Instagram because I wanted to warn people about chemicals because that was back when I thought that it, that was the sole cause of everything. But now that everything's kind of come full circle, I wanted to put out a lot of information just about Lyme disease specifically because there's so much that I didn't know so much. Like, as I was saying, you know, all you see on the news these days 
is, you know, oh, well, you know, this is what you do if you get bit by a tick or, you know, you don't have to worry unless you have a bullseye rash. And we know that you might not even know that you've been bit by a tick. So I think it's just so it's, it's urgent. There's an urgency that I'm feeling that people need to know this kind of stuff. And that's where I'm kind of stuck at right now is like, how do I get this information out there? So I used the platform that I had, you know, the, the backcountry stuff that I was doing, it kind of sat dormant for a while. Um, but there's still a lot of followers. So I thought, well, I'm going to put these videos out there and you know, people need to know this. People need to know that, you know, if you get bit by tick and they give you like one pill, that's not adequate. So, you know, I'm just right now, I'm, I'm just really feeling a sense of urgency. And it's, it's kind of funny because I put, you know, little quizzes out um, on the stories, how you can do that on Instagram. And I, I did the same quiz about little Lyme disease facts for the, the backcountry, the go outside account that I have and the chem free life, the more um, chronic illness based account that I have. And the chronic illness people, they aced it, but the outdoors people, there's a lot of stuff that they got wrong. And to me, like that, I find that very worrisome because, you know, this area, especially right here, it's endemic, you know, and people just don't know what to do if they've been bit by a tick. Or there's still a lot of people out there that are like, oh, no, that's not the right kind of tick. Oh, don't even worry about it, you know, and, and that's just not the case. Like, I, I feel like I need to... <laughs> I was chatting about this with another local Lyme person and we were just like, what do we have to do to get people in Ontario to listen? Like, do I have to chain myself to a building? Like, what do I need to do? I need to do something big. So I'm telling you, like after this uh, pandemic and, and all of that stuff is over and people are willing to pay a little more attention, I just, I need to find a really big way to be like, hey, pay attention, you know, this is what you need to know about ticks and Lyme disease, because there's like so much information out there in Ontario that, that is just wrong, and it's really leading people down a path of chronic illness, and I really, really hope that that's going to stop, and whatever I can do, anything I can do to, to stop that, I'm, I'm going to do, even if I have to crawl to get there. <laughs> so, Patricia, I... I think you are doing it in a big way. And I think some of your videos are some of the most authentic and vulnerable uh, that we've seen on Instagram. And uh, I've shared with you uh, before we began this interview that I'm not a big fan of Instagram because I see a lack of authenticity and certainly in most cases, mm -hmm. a lack of vulnerability. And what I really enjoyed about your um, Instagram is that it is real um, and, uh, and it's also informative. And you've put up videos on issues like not only your origin story, but rashes, and even um, a great video on what you would do if you were bitten by a tick. And that sort of takes us to the next part of this um, podcast, where we always ask our guests, uh, what would you do if your mom walked into your room and showed you she was being bitten by a tick so that she can avoid um, going through the terrible journey that you've gone through? And I have a preview of what your answer would be because you're one of the only people that I've ever seen put up <laughs> a recommendation video on what you would do. And I think it was very well done, but, but I understand from our prior oh, conversation you. that you, um, you are going to alter that in this answer. So please give us that answer. Your mom walks into your room. She has a tick biting her. What do you recommend that she does so that she doesn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey? Right. Well, first off, um, you have to remove it properly. I'm sure you know that. Um, so I would pull out my tick first aid kit and, and make sure that the entire tick is pulled out properly. Um, and then here in Canada, we have a different company. I don't know what you guys have in the States, but there's a place called Genetics. And I would send the tick there because they have a list on their website of all the different um, co-infections and, and microbes and stuff that they test for. And it's, it's just so much more in depth than what you would get, say, if you go into a doctor's office and um, they send it off to wherever public health does their testing. Um, so genetics is where I would send it. Um, and from what I've heard in the bee venom circles that uh, the groups that I'm in, 
there's some people that would sting around the bite because of the, um, like we were talking about before, something in the venom kills the bacteria. So for a fresh bite, before anything has had a chance to disseminate, I would sting. And I don't really know if my mom would be okay with this, to be honest, because there's been times, like, when I first started off doing the, the venom treatments where I'm like, hey, do you want to help me with this? I could really use somebody to sting my back. And it's, nope, no, <laughs> not getting anywhere near the bees. So I would I would do my best to try to convince her that, you know, this might be something that you want to do if um, if you're stung. And I just so happen to have a, a couple hundred in my kitchen right now. So so there you go. It's a treatment right there. Um, but beyond that, and with the understanding that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that don't have access to bees, um, depending on how long it would take to get the results back from genetics, um, if I had never heard of bee venom therapy and I wasn't doing that, I would, you know, I'd rush right to my doctor and I would say, hey, I've got a fresh tick bite. Um, if I didn't have a, a Lyme literate doctor, I would go to the ER and I would take the recommendations from ILAD, um, the International Lyme Associated Disease Society, um, because, you know, if you go into an ER or a doctor's office here, that's, that's another thing that I find is our doctors in Ontario are just not educated on dealing with tick bites or anything that is um, a tick-borne illness even beyond Lyme. So, you know, you really have to go in there prepared. Uh, you have to say this is the proper treatment because I know people who have gone in and they've been given like one or two pills of antibiotics and we know that's just not sufficient and if that tick is carrying a microbe you're going to be in trouble you know might not be right now but years down the road so I would make a lot of noise uh, you know if if I didn't um, have a Lyme literate doctor I would go in and I would you know get your refusals in writing if they say no I'm not going to do that and if you don't get antibiotics go to the next doctor go to a walk-in I would go and I would keep going you know until you find a doctor that's willing to treat you with um, I believe ILAD says what is it four to six weeks of antibiotics I'm not 100% sure on that but that's what I would do if I didn't have access to the bees and depending on genetics too, like if something came back positive, I don't know. I, I might not even rely on the bees. I might say, okay, I would take the risk of, you know, I really don't ever want to take antibiotics, but I think, you know, messing up your, your guts and your digestion for a little bit and having to fix that would be easier than down the road dealing with a, a chronic disseminated infection, I think. So that might be worth the risk, but yeah, that's what I would do. <laughs> I would do my best at convincing someone to sting themselves. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Joyce Braun. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Joyce and her tick disease journey, please follow her Instagram at mychemfreelife. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of our Tick Boot Camp interview with Joyce Braun, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the podcast. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint, which has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.